An interesting piece of Methodist history is that Augustus' top lady wrote this as a correction to John Wesley. Um, he thought he was going to get his theological goat, but Wesley loved the hymn. And it's been in our hymnals pretty much as long as we've had hymnals. <laughs> a reading from the letter to the Hebrew church, chapter 10, beginning with verse 11. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 11. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since then he has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who has promised is faithful. And let us not consider how to provoke one another to love. Or excuse me. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, we're in the third question now, and the first question I've been asking you for several months now is, are you in love with Jesus? And what do you say, church? I say yes. Yes? That's great. Are you still in love with Jesus right this minute? Yes. That's good. It's a lot easier to be in love with Jesus when we're together and feel supported by each other and encouraged by each other, isn't it? And that's what the writer wants us to know. He says, don't stop meeting together because that's how you encourage one another. You spur one another are the words he uses. You spur each other on to good deeds and love. My grandfather, excuse me, my uncle Jim, Jim Neal had a chicken named Satan. Hand to God, that's a true story. And that chicken was mean. That makes sense, right? It was a game chicken. Rumor was that him and some other fellows in town used to fight them. You know, I don't want to believe that, but I don't know. 
Mr. Connor probably knows. <laughs> he was his neighbor forever. And, um, but Jim had that chicken, and that chicken was mean. That chicken, every time you walked by the pen, it would throw itself at the side of the pen trying to get me. I'm just a little fella. Probably 12. I didn't need a chicken riding me across the yard. Now my grandfather decided he would get him some of those chickens. And he literally got ridden across the yard by one. On his back, jabbing its spurs into him. I mean, you know, we Clemson fans laugh at South Carolina because they got a chicken for a mascot. The Gamecocks ain't no joke. And things are mean. Game chickens are no joke. That's the kind of imagery that's there that we get together and we spur one another on to love and good deeds. We say to one another, a hard heart cannot be possible when we are in Christ. That's what we're about. We're reminding each other that Jesus is at work in us not only so that we can love Jesus, but so that we can love others. And when we do that, we end up with the law of God written on our hearts. To love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. We end up with all of that infused in us to the point that we just can't stop doing it. And when we see someone not doing it, we want to encourage them to get back in the game and fight the hatred that's out there in the world. That's beautiful, isn't it? That's what he's saying we get together and do for each other. We spur to each other and we say that's not acceptable. We will love here. That's what we're going to do. And we will do good things for people, even if they don't deserve them. That's cool. The other thing I've been asked is, you know, have you faith in Christ? I say yes. What about y'all? Y'all still in a yes camp? We all have faith in Jesus to save us? Boy, that's all I'm clinging to. I know that that day when we get up there, and, or whenever the judgment happens, you know, I don't know if it could happen on earth for all I know, but... When I appear before the judgment seat of Christ, I hope none of y'all have to wait on me to finish. Jesus said we'll give account for every careless word we've ever spoken. I've spoken a lot of careless words. But you know what also is a promise? Right there it says that God will remember our lawless deeds no more. God will remember our sins no more. And that's a matter of faith, of having faith in the death of Jesus and in the spilled blood of the Lamb. When Jesus was nailed to that cross, He became the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and sacrifice in the temple needed not to happen anymore. God did that for mercy for the people. He said, when you sin, you can bring an animal to the temple and the priest will stand up every day and they will sacrifice those animals and pour the blood on the altar and your sins will be atoned for. So every day in Jerusalem, there were offerings going up and can you imagine what it looked and smelled like? A constant reminder of guilt and hurt and oppression of all the bad things they have done, not only to themselves but others, And it pricked the conscience and caused them to be heavy burdened. And God says, enough of that. I'll offer a perfect sacrifice. And in your faith in Christ, I will cleanse you. I will heal your heart. He promised the Old Testament prophets that He would take our heart of stone out of us and give us a soft heart, a heart of flesh. And He does it through Christ. Because there's no longer a reminder of the guilt of our sin. We don't have to carry our wrongdoing around all the time. We don't have to beat up on ourselves all the time. We don't have to be mean to ourselves about all the bad things that we do. 
In our Bible study this week, we talked about why it's so hard to forgive ourselves. And we read an article by a Christian counselor who says that we've refused to forgive ourselves because we think we've got to beat ourselves up for being that person who did whatever it was. So we create pain to punish ourselves for creating pain. And God would call us out of that cycle to lay down our sin and to come to Christ and be healed and be cleansed. And you know what we get out of it? Not just salvation, we get a soft heart. We get relationships with other people. We get to stop being alone in the world. You ever known a hard-hearted person that had a lot of friends who loved them? You ever known a mean, cynical person that people truly regretted when they died? You ever seen a hard-hearted person live by themselves with no one who cared about them? You know what makes our heart hard? We do. We examine our lives and we refuse Christ's forgiveness. When we refuse to love others because they're not like us or not as good as us, we make our hearts hard. And we make it hard to hear the gospel of Jesus. But faith can undo that. When we say we love Christ, when we say we have faith in Christ, that's a confession, isn't it? I mean, I've watched enough law and order to know that if you go in to be questioned by the detectives for something you actually did, you do not want to confess to it, right? That will be held against you. In this case, it's held for you. Your confession, your confession brings you into this new covenant and a new heart is yours for the asking. A healed heart. A heart that's not hard. A heart that's not burdened by your sins. A heart that can remember that God Himself says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. No more. And by that we have confidence to come here into God's presence today. And remember that we are children of the covenant. That we belong to God. And our love for Christ and our faith in Christ are the surest evidences of that truth. But you know, there's something about the human heart that's hard to give up. When someone hurts us, we say to them, they broke our heart. You broke my heart. Our surest claim about the heart is that it somehow belongs to us. And over and over we will tell people, you hurt my heart, you broke my heart, you offended my heart. But truly, the human heart was created to belong to God. And so the question has to be asked, I love Jesus, I have faith in Jesus, but can I really trust Jesus with my heart? Can I trust Jesus to make the kind of change in me that will require for me to truly love God and love my enemies at the same time?
That's a pretty weird sermon title in your bulletin. It's an acronym or whatever them things are called for why should you trust him with your heart? When Paul talks about the great day of the Lord, he says that we don't know what we shall be yet, but we know that we'll be like him. And what we know about Jesus is he loved even his enemies enough to die for them. And we call that beautiful, don't we? Don't we speak of that with glowing affection? We speak of that as if it's the greatest thing that ever happened. We even call it the greatest story ever told. What if your heart can be added to that story? What if the people around you in one year's time, in two years' time, in five years' time will be talking about what a wonderful person you've become and how you model love how you model acceptance of others, how you model what it means to give yourself for others. What if people started calling you the most selfless person they've ever known? That would appeal to us, wouldn't it? How can we know we can trust Him with our heart? Everything He's told us of what He's going to do sounds good to me, to write His laws on my hearts, to to remove sin from it, to remove guilt from my heart, to remove darkness from it. It all sounds good to me. How can I know that He will really keep that promise? How can I know that if I trust Him with my heart, the outcome will be something I won't regret? How can I know that if I trust Him with my whole life, that the outcome won't be something that I'll look back across the years, many years later, and wonder if it was a mistake? Maybe that's why He tells us to hold fast to the confession of our hope. To remember that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. To remember that the one who sent Christ was faithful to him even through death, even on the other side of death, that he's been raised to new life. To hold on to that, to hold on to the resurrection of Jesus as the sure sign that God can indeed raise our hearts out of sin and death and draw them out of the pit of hell. Why should we trust Him with our hearts? The writer says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Without wavering, without quitting, without stopping getting together, without stopping encouraging one another, but to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And why? For one simple reason. Because Jesus is faithful. Have you ever known somebody who was truly faithful to you? That you knew that no matter what you did, no matter what you told them, they would forgive you. 
that you had a peace in that relationship that you couldn't explain, that you knew that nothing could ever come between you and that person's love for you. If you've had that kind of relationship in your life, I want you to know that you haven't seen anything yet. When you trust Christ enough to give Him your heart, you enter into a relationship with one who was faithful even unto death for you. I've heard people say before that they would die for somebody and I've always doubted it. But I don't have to doubt that Jesus died for you. I know He did. So if you wonder if He's faithful enough to trust Him with your heart, remember that He was faithful enough to hang on the tree for you. He was faithful enough to be nailed to a cross for you, to be mocked for you, to be spat on for you, to be hit for you. He was faithful enough to be humiliated for you. And as you consider that, ask yourself if you can trust someone like that with your heart. What do you say, church? Do you think you can trust Him with your heart? My prayer is that you will. That all of us together will do that. None of us does it alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Andy, would you